So we're continuing in our Genesis series. We're at Genesis 25. And uh, um, in Genesis, there as a lot of narratives or stories that are famous. If you grew up in the church or you grew up right, reading the Bible a lot, um, there are a lot of stories that you recognize. And, oh, these are great stories. And for me, Esau, uh, the story of Jacob and Esau is one of those stories. Um, there's so much in it, right? Ankle grabber, twins fighting in the womb, all of the all of the stuff. Before I, we dig into the passage, I wanted to talk about my tailgating hypocrisy. So my tailgating hypocrisy uh, seems like all of my confessions these days have to do with traffic, Seattle traffic, and driving, um, because I'm an impatient person, and uh, and you can't control the traffic. So traffic is something that you can't control, and when you can't control something and you need to get somewhere at a certain time, it's frustrating uh, for certain personalities. Um, but my tailgating hypocrisy is that when someone in front of me is slow, or all the lanes are slow, um, even the left lane, I get frustrated, and I tend to tailgate people, because tailgating is a way to communicate Right? Get out of my way. Speed up or get out of my way. And, and so, you know, I'll get really close. And, you know, certain, certain drivers that get upset by that will tap their brakes. And then I'll be like, like that. Uh, but the reason why I say that it's hypocrisy is because I don't like it when someone tailgates me. Right? When someone's behind me really close up, I really, really don't like it. And so, I tap my brakes, but I don't just tap my brakes, I actually like stop really fast. Um, 
I don't know what would happen if they actually hit me. Um, but that's what kind of a, a jerk. That's the only time I'm a jerk. But we move on from Abraham and Sarah um, to their son, Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac, and uh, his story, uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Um, in verse 19, we again have the told up pattern that we spoke before in Genesis. It's a, it's a pattern in Genesis that means the generations. So in Genesis, you'll have either a genealogy, that these are the generations, and just a straight genealogy, or you'll, you'll see the told up pattern, these are the generations, and a, narr a longer narrative. And this is the case in verse 19, uh, the told up pattern initiating the Isaac narrative. These are the descendants of Isaac. And then you get this story, this narrative. Um, and Rebecca's pregnancy, we've seen from episodes around Sarah, Hagar, and Abraham that the story of the Abrahamic line uh, is marked by turmoil and infighting and drama and trickery and deception and manipulation and power struggle. Um, and all of this drama is happening around this promise or the covenant and this promise of a blessing of being having nations descendants be nations and and then the circumstances that in conflict with the circumstances of um, sometimes un people unable to have children unable to bear children at a late age and kind of this impatience or wondering if God is gonna um, is gonna follow through with the promises and so and we see this idea of chosen people, a chosen line. This cho uh, we follow the narrative of Abraham, right? He's called, God has promised him, I'll promise you descendants and a nation. And before we get all up in, in arms about election and God's chosen people, uh, we need to understand that this isn't a meritocracy, right? They are not a model family. And we've read this, we've seen this, right? Abraham and his line, they aren't a model family, um, but rather God's provision for them demonstrates all the more his character, merciful, compassionate, redemptive, and in all these things, abundance. God is abundant in his mercy, compassion, and redemption. And we also see that he listens to those who cry out to him and has concern for all people, even beyond the center narrative, the mainstream of the scriptural narrative. Um, so this dysfunction of the family, of the supposed chosen family, continues um, with the line of Isaac, and between Isaac and Rachel and their children. Um, there's internal conflict in the family. And the striving is over who is to be blessed, who will inherit God's blessing, and in this kind of tension and conflict, we've discussed a little bit about our proclivity, the human proclivity towards a scarcity mentality, right? Last week we talked about scarcity and abundance and tan flood tan brothers, and how this affects our trust in God's abundance, his word and his promises. Verse 21, uh, the Lord is moved by Isaac's prayers. So once again, Isaac cries out, the Lord hears Isaac's cries. There's another theme. God hears people who cry out to him, and he is moved. Right? We have a God who is moved uh, by our cries, by our prayers. Um, and he's moved 
by Isaac's intercessory plea uh, on behalf of his wife, who has not been able to have children during their, if you do the math, 20 years of marriage. Um, by the time uh, she has Esau and Isaac, Rebecca has Esau and Isaac, I think uh, there's, she's 60. Um, at the time that Isaac is praying, um, Rebecca is 40. Or, yeah. Um, and the interesting thing to ponder in this is, is Isaac praying desperately because the covenant is being threatened? Just like Abraham and Sarah, they haven't had a child yet. They're getting up in age. What's happening? You know, is this going to happen? Um, so the covenant is being threatened, or is it simply that, the, as the text suggests, he prays for Rebecca, for his wife? The Lord is moved, and Rebecca becomes pregnant. So he's he feels for Rebecca. He has a heart for Rebecca. He wants Rebecca to have the desires of her heart. Um, so he's praying for her. I don't know. That, that's a question. And then in verse 22, apparently, we have a rough pregnancy because she has twins. And we learn in the text that she doesn't know that they're twins until they're born because they didn't have ultrasound back then. right? It's just maybe this is a huge baby just going crazy inside my womb, right? But, uh, uh, she had, but we know, the readers know, that there are boys, two boys, twins, pushing against each other, wrestling and striving. And uh, I'm always interested in kind of descriptions in Scripture of boys in wombs or children in wombs because I myself was a twin. I was born a twin. Jonathan was my twin. And uh, he died in infancy. But I have poems and stuff about uh, us together in the womb, like cuddling and, and like his palm against my cheek, all of that stuff. Um, but it was probably closer to this. We were probably fighting in there right? and wrestling around. Um, but anyways, it wasn't, uh, it was a rough pregnancy. And they're wrestling around and Rebecca is feeling this tension. And her suffering is so great that she cries out, if this is what it's like, why did this happen to me? And it's funny when I read this because it's like, this is so true. I'm re I was reminded of Janice during Isaiah's pregnancy where she looks at me and says, this is your fault. You did this. And my ill-timed response no, it's our fault, <laughs> and God did this. <laughs> that didn't go over so well. But, so there's a struggle in her womb, two nations striving, and that's a, God's prophecy. When she asks God, God says to her, there are two nations striving inside you, two brothers struggling for dominance, and the younger will lead the older, right? The older will serve the younger. And if we could take... Rebecca's womb as a symbolic microcosm or a metaphor for our world, right? the, global, the global world, we could say this description, this is a description of our condition, right? Nations and peoples are striving against one another, struggling for dominance, struggling for economic survival, or this is how people uh, in any small space together can be in the workplace, in a household, in a school, 
in a community, even in a church. There can be struggling and wrestling, wrangling for position, for the upper hand, for the first pick of the goods. But then there are times that each one of us stops and gathers in this kind of conflict and struggle, daily struggle around us. Um, and the lack of peace. And we might ask, God, why are you letting this happen? Why did you let me get into this? Why did you let us get into this? And for me, sometimes it's, I say, I need a break from Facebook, right? This is just cray cray. You go on there and like, ah, oh. My friends are in two different poles and I don't know what to do. And the world is just going nuts. Our country is going nuts. I need a break. Why, do you, why did you do this to us? Why is this happening? And we carry the stress and the anxiety in our bodies, just as Rebecca can feel this in her womb, in our guts, and in our souls. Um, so we get to uh, the birth of Jacob and Esau, finally. Uh, in verse 24, Rebecca discovers she has twins when she gives birth. She's like, oh, I get it. There were two. Esau came out first, and from what we can tell from the description, he looked like Elmo coming out, right? He was red all over and wore clo was clothed in hair, Elmo. And Jacob comes out next, but gripping his brother's ankle, as if he were trying to make it out first, to be the firstborn, and thus the one who inherit the blessing of the eldest. Right? So you can imagine they're like, it's time to be born. Like, I want to get out first. I want to, and they're struggling and wrestling. And the name Jacob, you may know, um, means ankle grabber or one who supplants, a supplanter. Um, so, and we'll see how this kind of name plays out for Jacob in the Genesis narrative that he's one who strives, one who supplants. He's the youngest, but he wants to be, have the blessing. And so it's constantly um, grabbing and working, you know, scheming in order to get this blessing, in order to get this kind of title of this honor. And we see this process of growth that in the end, by the end of the story, he comes to a peace. But we'll, we'll get into that more. And God renames him Israel, right? The nation, the name of the nation. So Jacob is ambitious. Jacob is a schemer. Jacob will do what he needs to get ahead. Um, and this isn't far from any of us, right? Like each one of us has been guilty of being an ankle grabber, right? A supplanter. Like maybe you wanted to be class president in third grade, and, right? You created drama. Um, for that other person. You, you, you started gossip for that other person. But we, we are all ankle grabbers. Um, one question that I wanted to ask, us is, ask yourself is, in what ways uh, do you grab ankles? How, how in your life, in your workplace, in your calling, uh, in your relationships and family, um, can you grab ankles? So Esau was hairy. And he was an outdoorsman who hunted and was, he was a man's man, right? He was hairy, he hunted, he went outside, he looked like Elmo. Um, 
And on the flip side, they have very different personalities and kind of makeups. It says that Jacob was quiet and he stayed at home. Quiet and, and we're assuming airless. Um, and he was a mama's boy, right? Like his uh, mommy liked Jacob and daddy liked Esau. And the second half of this passage is this interaction, this exchange um, over soup, right? So Esau, Esau is a hunter. He's, gone, he's been out hunting. He's famished, right? He, he didn't get any game during his hunt. And what we learn is that Esau comes and he smells. What is the smell of that good red stuff, right? He doesn't even have a name for it. And I think red stuff, oh, kimchi jjigae, right? That's my favorite soup. It's red. It's got kimchi in it. Um, or yukkejang, right? Maybe it's that. And he, so he smells it and he's like, I'm famished. I'm so hungry. Give me some of that stuff, right? He's not into details. Um, and what, we, what I gather from this is that Esau lacks delayed gratification, right? You guys know what delayed gratification is? It's the ability to not gratify our immediate desires and hungers in order to receive the, the benefits of the long term, right? So I, won't, I will be disciplined and not eat this in order so that I can wait for the bigger thing at the end. That's delayed gratification. It's, it's something we all need to learn. Adults learn, you know, kids don't have it. Somewhere on that path from childhood to adulthood, we learn delayed gratification, right? We can't just eat it when we feel it, say, say it when we feel it. Um, you have to show some discipline. But Esau, at this point, lacks delayed gratification. He's going to do anything he can um, to get this soup. And he grabs for the thing that's right in front of him. And my point in all of this is that, in this soup exchange, is that both brothers suffer from a scarcity mentality. In some way, in their perception, there is a lack of resources, a lack of being able to get something. And so their response out of that is to take hold, to take uh, control in some way. And in a scarcity mentality, uh, we can tend towards crisis orientation, right? The immediate need, and this is Esau. I see as Esau's thing is, he's hungry, he's starving, he needs food now. And his response is one of crisis orientation. His scarcity mentality leads him to act in, in a way that he's in a crisis. And so he's willing to, as the scripture says, he had no concern for his birthright. He's willing to just negotiate away everything. His, being his blessing as the eldest son, his birthright. Here, you have it. I'm hungry. Jacob on the flip side, does have delayed gratification. He, he kind of is forward-looking, and he's looking ahead to the time when their father will grant the blessing of the eldest to Esau. Jacob wants this birthright to be his. Jacob is the master manipulator, the supplanter. Um, and this in itself is a scarcity mentality, as he doesn't feel that his current position and life is good enough, right? It's not good enough for me to be second son. It's not good enough for me to be Esau's younger brother. 
I want more. I want the birthright. I want to be the first son. And he's grasping for more. He's grasping for this blessing. But if we know anything about God's character and about scripture and about the narrative up to this point is, even the second blessing, the second blessing is enough, is awesome, right? Hagar and Ishmael were made, Ishmael was blessed to be a nation in and of itself, right? God's blessing is enough for this person, this person, this line, this line, this line. And even if you're not a part of this narr the, narr the central narrative, those who are on the outside, on the outskirts, are actually blessed just as much, right, when they cry out to God. And so that's the abundance mentality is, man, I'm content with where I am, and God is going to bless me, and he has been blessing me. Um, but J instead, Jacob wants to take matters in his own hands, and he starts to scheme. You may be asking, because when the story plays out, Jacob does, with his mother, scheme and win the birthright from the father. And it does also seem that God ends up blessing Jacob. And, and so someone like me, I like this because I'm the younger brother, but it's like, why does the Jacob, the schemer, the supplanter, the ankle grabber, he didn't come out first. Why does God bless, bless him nonetheless? Right? Are you thinking that? And I think uh, this kind of thinking actually comes from our kind of leaning on human tradition and the rules as, as kind of as a foundation for our trust. God is an unconventional God, right? I like to say God often um, works against himself. Right? He creates the scandal, right? or the bed trick, or the, the faith of the outside, the person, the outlier, to come in to turn things around, right? to flip the script, just like Jesus. I mean, who was Jesus? Right? You would think Jesus would come as a powerful person and have status and position, but God, in his plan, in his mercy, in his love, the gospel is a revolution, right? Jesus was born in a barn, in a manger, in a humble position. Jesus died on the cross, and that became the ultimate like plan. That became the ultimate power in this world. So God is unconventional, right? Throughout Genesis, you'll see like the least likely of people become the heroes in the story. You'll have a prostitute written into Jesus' genealogy, right? Be the heroine. Um, and so I think when things don't happen the way we think they should happen, or things don't work like God seems to bless the young, is blessing Jacob, it's because God doesn't follow conventions. So we don't rely on those things, right? So no one can boast. No person can boast. No one way can boast. God does not follow human convention and traditions so that we can't boast. We can't say, we did it the right way and that's why we were blessed. Amen? Or 
this is the way, this is the tradition. So if we follow to the tradition, that's the righteous way. Or we are the righteous line. So as long as we're the in people, then we are blessed, right? And God turns all of those things upside down. Because it's not about human convention. Or it's not about human traditions. Or it's not about birth order. It's not about, you know, doing things right or being the right people. It's about God's glory and God's desire to make, to spread his love in the world. Are you with me, church? Amen. So God often initiates uh, many revolutions, I like to say. Um, he's a supplanter of human traditions. Um, and I think, I think faith, I was going to have a diagram up here, but I forgot about that. But faith um, is about trust in God. Right? How do you trust in God? Versus what are the things that we put our trust in that aren't from God? Or that kind of are replacements um, of security, or security for us. And it's a constant struggle, right? It's a constant struggle for each of us, right? We desire, and these are all good desires. We desire security. We desire stuff for our family. Um, we desire um, a means to make a living. We desire safety. And, and God um, is the provider. God is the giver of those things. And yet, when we feel like, oh, there's not enough out there for us, or I need to go get it, right? I need to go get those things for my family or for myself, we can get on tilt right? and do things outside of our power or you know, what we need to do outside of the realm of trusting in God in order to acquire those things for ourselves. Are you with me, church? Um, so we need to practice patience. These are all disciplines. We need to practice stillness. These are spiritual disciplines. We need to practice delayed kingdom delayed gratification. Right? This is a big one for me. Right? I feel it, I get it, right? I I need it, I get it. And to be like to wait and delay what I want and desire in order to be still and wait for the thing that God may have for me or for my family or for us um, is very difficult because I want a solution. Um, ask Janice, right? When it comes to reconciliation, you know, when we fight, it's like, and my family, we fight and then we're hugging and kissing, right? Right after. Her, she's like, I need some time, right? Like, so. My expectation when we fight is like, I'm feeling horrible until we reconcile, right? But for her, that may, she might not be ready for a week. And I'm like, sorry, come on. Sorry, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Now, 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 right? I can't move forward unless we're reconciled. And she's like, I need time. And so this kind of, um, I've learned that when I'm all messed up, 
because our there's some brokenness in our relationship or some some something that's not reconciled that I go to God like I don't need it to be resolved right now I can just say to God God I don't know what to say I don't know what to do can you just work in my heart work in his heart and just make it work out right because we're married <laughs> um, and it always ends up a lot better when I just stop and pray instead of making Janice talk to me right it doesn't that doesn't turn out well it ends up being a longer process so anyways delayed gratification kingdom gratification um, abundance mentality what does it mean to trust that God has the resources for us, that God has what we need um, to get past the thing that's right in front of us, that's nagging us, that's making us anxious, that's making us afraid. Be still and know that I am God. So we're going to have a time of responsive worship. And uh, these pink cards here are response cards, and these are prayer request cards, which we have normally and there's cards also in the fanny packs on your chairs um, but we're going to take some time to reflect on this question where in your life can you take these words to heart right now <clears throat> be still and know that i am god be still and know that i am god where in your life right now can you take these words to heart